Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A group of young people in Montana won a major legal victory claiming the state's constitution requires protections against climate change. There's no telling whether the ruling will hold up, but it's part of a strategy in a handful of states to fight climate change on constitutional grounds. We'll talk to activists who are keeping tabs on this new strategy and others as a way to spur more action on an issue they say is moving too slowly. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The stories of Indigenous Americans are as valuable as any other, but those stories aren't always told accurately or helpfully. Inclusion of Native voices in media are crucial, but how can we create those opportunities? South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene has more. Journalism, with its degree requirements and institutional power, can be an intimidating field for many to enter. The inclusion of new voices in the news field could help break down that wall, though. Native journalists like Amelia Schaefer are working across America for organizations like Indian Country Today, Kiwanek Broadcasting, or for your local indigenous publication. But Schaefer says there's work yet to do. Native people have the sensitivity to be able to tell Native stories in a way that is not as harmful as someone who's uneducated on the community or maybe educated on stereotypes of the community. It's more empowering to be able to tell these stories that affect your community. Native reporters, it's, it's hard, but it's also so rewarding because we're able to tell these different stories in a way that the community wants to be heard. Schaefer says if you're a young Native person with an interest in news, don't stop. If I would have had somebody to tell me back then that it's okay to keep pursuing this even though there are people who don't understand you or might not want to understand you, that was something that I had faced in high school. But it's something that's worth pursuing and I think that Native-led organizations like ICT can really help to empower reporters and give you the support that you need in that ground of mutual understanding. It starts with school newspapers and student broadcasting opportunities. For Diana Knoyer, executive director of the National Indian Education Association, there is equal value to be found in the perspectives unique to indigenous journalists. We have a lot of storytellers that probably want to be journalists, but the two schools of thought don't mesh. We are storytellers, first and foremost. To be a storyteller, you also have to be a story listener. Further, Knoyer says opportunities to enter the field, like journalism internships or fellowships, simply don't exist to the same degree on reservations than off. For National Native News, I'm C.J. Keene in Rapid City. U.S. Representative Mary Peltola says she's ready to return to work at the nation's capital. Peltola has been spending time with family following the loss of her husband, Jean Buzzy Peltola, who died in a plane crash on September 12th. In a statement, Peltola said the past few weeks have been some of the most difficult in her life and that she appreciated how Alaskans have given her the space to celebrate her husband's life with her family. She said, quote, the kindness and generosity that has been shown represents Alaska at its best. In the statement, Peltola talked about the federal shutdown, which she said was barely avoided and could have hit Alaska's military families, seniors and children hard. Peltola said after watching all the partisan politics in Washington continue as another shutdown looms, she's anxious to return to Congress. She says she will continue to mourn her husband, but also knows he would want her to get back to work. 
In Wisconsin, the Lakota Ray Tribal Governing Board has responded to a letter from the LCO Ojibwe School Superintendent Jessica Hutch Hutchinson about a rise in behavior and dress among middle school students that has been associated in the past with gang affiliation. Tribal officials are asking parents and community members to teach young people about the dangers of gang activity and to remind everyone of the tragedies that happened to Lakota Ray in the late 90s and early 2000s. That's when gang violence claimed the lives of two young tribal members and eventually the imprisonment of dozens of community members. According to officials, the LCO Ojibwe School will begin dealing with associated behavior as a Class 1 offense, which may result in in-school suspensions or out-of-school suspensions. The Tribal Governing Board says they fully support necessary actions to protect the community as a whole. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, coming to you live from our studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Young climate activists are focusing on environmental protections built into a handful of state constitutions as the basis for lawsuits to combat climate change. The Montana Supreme Court will soon hear the state's appeal of a historic court decision that Montanans are entitled to a stable climate. A similar case is underway in Hawaii where indigenous plaintiffs as young as 13 are suing to protect what they say is their constitutional right to a healthy life and future. Today, we'll meet young climate activists who will share a new legal strategy in the face of growing concerns about the future. We hope you'll join us too. And tell us about the young climate warriors in your native community. What climate issues are they most passionate about? And how are they using the legal system to protect the environment? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's meet our guests. On the line in Honolulu, Hawaii, is Isaac Moriwake. He is the managing attorney in the Mid-Pacific Regional Office for Earth Justice. Hi, Isaac. Welcome to Native America Calling. Hi. Good morning, and thank you for having us. Absolutely, Isaac. Joining us also in Hawaii is Pahonu Coleman. He's a high school senior and one of 14 plaintiffs in the lawsuit against the Hawaii Department of Transportation. Welcome to NAC, Pahonu. How are you doing? Aloha kakahiaka. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us. Aloha to you as well. Joining us from Tulsa, Oklahoma is Jordan Harmon. She's a policy analyst and a legislative advocate for the Indigenous Environmental Network. She's Muskogee Creek. Jordan, you've been here before. Welcome back to NAC. Uh, thank you so much. Good to be back. 
And rounding out our panel today from San Diego, California, is Brandy Upshaw. She's a freshman at the University of San Diego. She is Navajo and Chiricahua Apache. Brandy, hi. Welcome to our show. Hello. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. Hope everything is going nice there in sunny California. And uh, also in a sunny environment, we've got Isaac, who is in Honolulu. And Isaac, go ahead and lead us off today. Uh, If you're familiar with this recent legal victory in Montana, why is it such a landmark win for young climate activists? Sure. It's the first time in the United States that a court has found a violation of a constitutional right to a livable climate. Uh, It's based on the Montana state constitution that has recognized that right, at least to a a, a clean and healthy environment for a long time. Um, And by the way, Hawaii has a similar provision in its own constitution. And so this is the first case recognizing that right and finding a violation in the context of our climate emergency, but it won't be the last because courts, uh, not only in the United States, but across the world are recognizing this fundamental right to a livable climate basically in any democracy uh, on planet Earth, right? And, and these are fundamental rights that we have to recognize in this time of climate crisis. Isaac, you are legal counsel representing these young plaintiffs in this lawsuit that, that we're going to talk about today in Hawaii. And uh, from what happened there in Montana, was that part of the, the inspiration and motivation for this lawsuit in Hawaii, or was that already underway? The Hawaii lawsuit was already underway. And we're certainly you... right. As I mentioned, we're taking inspiration from that Montana victory, and we're resolved to follow this case through to victory in Hawaii as well. Okay. And when did you become involved, and what got you connected with these young people? Right. So uh, Earth Justice is a nonprofit national um, uh, public interest law firm. We specialize in environmental and clean energy and, and climate issues. And we're partnered with an organization called Our Children's Trust, who specializes in these types of uh, lawsuits, legal actions on behalf of the next generation, our youth, um, bringing accountability on climate action based on this notion of fundamental rights to a livable climate. So we partnered with Our Children's Trust and then uh, joined up with these 14 youth plaintiffs in Hawaii across the islands, many of whom are Native Hawaiians and have that special connection to this place. Uh, yes, and we've brought the lawsuit against the state of Hawaii, primarily uh, taking the lead for the state and in this transportation sector is the Department of Transportation um, and challenging the state's failure to get on the ball in terms of addressing this most critical aspect right now of climate solutions, which is transforming our transportation system. Mm-hmm. It's now the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, I think, in a lot of places in the U.S. Uh, generally, but certainly in Hawaii, where, yes, we've made some you know, good advances in terms of limiting uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We're on the right track in, in a lot of respects, but in transportation, we're going the exact opposite direction and are and digging ourselves deeper and deeper holes by building out our roads and keep on uh, you know, laying more concrete and not really uh, focusing on the solutions we need, like electrification and, you know, uh, all kinds of modes of different types of transportation that, you know, uh, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. 
And so that's why the kids are taking the state of Hawaii to court. And Isaac, what is it like working with these young climate warriors? Uh, have you ever represented plaintiffs uh, who were teenagers before? Our office, uh, Earth Justice in Hawaii, never has. But again, our Children's Trust uh, does that exclusively. They focus on that and, and those types of rights. Mm-hmm. But it's been very inspirational for us uh, to take on this cause. And I'll, I'll let Pahono really take the lead because these youth plaintiffs, including Pahono, who's a native Hawaiian, uh, really are the, the, the center of this case, the heart and soul of this case. And so, yes, it's been, it's been inspirational to take up their cause and defend their rights in court. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and hear now from Pahonu. And Pahonu, how old are you and what prompted you to get involved in this legal fight? Um, well, I'm currently 18 years old and um, I go to um, high school. It's my senior year um, on the windward side of Oahu. Um, I don't attend school in my community, but just in the community right next door, um, and I like to say that, you know, this whole, this, this whole process is very brand new to me. But um, climate activism and fighting for my land and also um, ensuring that my community is protected is not something that is new to me. Um, it, it's very, very um, a familiar thing for me. And um, really learning the process has been inspiring and, you know, um, sometimes challenging, but... Um, Understanding the end result um, is always rewarding and is always an encouragement for me personally to continue. Mm -hmm. And Pahonu, what are you learning about the legal system that you didn't know before? Um, Well, basic things. I mean, we, um, from meeting monthly with our lawyers and um, understanding even our constitutional rights, is something that I've definitely been um, absorbing and um, definitely um, observing as well. And what are you? What, what kind of feedback are you getting from the community, Pahonu, in, in terms of here you are, you and your fellow plaintiffs, teens, in some cases young teens, you're taking on a really big legal challenge. You've got attorneys working for you. What are your parents saying, your siblings, your classmates, friends? What do they think of all this? I think uh, it's a very strange situation. Um, I don't think my entire community knows what I'm doing, um, but I know that they acknowledge a lot of the the hands-on work that we're doing within our community and restoration and conservation. But um, for those who have um, come across an article or seen us on the news, I think their initial reaction is just um, filled with gratitude. Uh, Waimanalo, which is where I'm from, um, Native Hawaiian makes up the majority. Um, so knowing that I'm backed by my community, and um, especially those who are um, more civically engaged in our community, I know that they know what I'm doing. And um, every time I see them or meet with them, they just always give that word of encouragement. Um, to. I want to go back to Isaac now. And Isaac, so far, um, what's been the most challenging component of this case? What's been the most difficult part? I think dealing with the state and the bureaucracy that it is, there's acknowledgement, I guess, in the legal level that 
yes, there's a climate emergency. Yes, we have this obligation to take care of the environment and Native Hawaiian rights. And yet that doesn't translate to action, right? That doesn't translate to results on, on the ground. Um, and even as we brought this lawsuit, what did the state do? They immediately brought what they call a motion to dismiss to try to kick out the youth plaintiffs out of the court, say, you don't even belong in here trying to defend your rights. Uh, and we won that one. Uh, we got a very strong ruling from the judge saying, no, these laws are established. And yes, they protect a right to a livable climate. They protect our rights to natural resources um, being preserved and promoted now and into the future for future generations. And they said this case can go for uh, the, the court said this case can go forward. Um, and, but yet we had to go through that detour because the government was stone, stonewalling us, um, mm -hmm. the, you know, the entire way. And so I, I, I anticipate going forward in this case that, yes, we're going to encounter similar resistance, even as Hawaii has such these strong acknowledgments and laws that there is these climate rights. Right. All right. Um, there's there's no sort of accountability in the government to follow through on that. And that's why we need to take it to court. Okay. Isaac and Pahunu, I, I want to thank you both for, for kicking off our conversation today. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, Pahunu, I want to ask you, uh, Isaac just shared that, that you've gotten pushback and people have said, hey, you don't belong here in court. This isn't an, an issue that you need to be involved in. And I want to get your feedback and I want you to share with our listeners how that made you feel to, to be told that and, and what your response was. But before we do that, we are going to take a short break, our first break of the show. And any listeners who'd like to give a, a, a call into the studio here in Albuquerque, share your thoughts and comments, 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are now open. Domestic violence is a pervasive issue for Native Americans. Laws like the Violence Against Women Act are designed to improve the disproportionate numbers of Native people subjected to violence. We'll get an assessment of how programs and policies are working and how they're not in the next Native America Calling. Attention all ranchers, farmers, and conservationists. You can join the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance at their three-day annual meeting in Las Vegas starting October 24th to strategize for a sustainable future. Topics include tribal farming and ranching issues, tribal forestry programs, and more, all to strengthen tribal sovereignty through conservation. The session will also be live-streamed online. More info, including registration at inca-tcd.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We were talking about young indigenous climate activists invoking their constitutional right to protect the environment. What do you think about that? Do our elected leaders have a legal responsibility to protect the environment for future generations? Give us a call. Let us know what you think. 1-800-996-2848. One of our guests on the line... Pahunu Coleman, he is a youth plaintiff in a lawsuit in Hawaii against Department of Transportation. It pertains to climate change. And Pahunu, we just heard from uh, Isaac that uh, when you and your other plaintiffs, young people, went to court and, and advocated for your concerns, uh, some people weren't receptive. And they told you that you didn't belong there, that you didn't have a place in the court for, uh, for your issues. 
How did that make you feel, and what was your response? Well, I think um, as an indigenous person, right, of Hawaii, um, as a native Hawaiian, as a Kanaka Maoli, um, it's unfortunate, but it, it's true that we're sometimes we're used to. I won't say immune, but we're a lot of times we're used to, to um, that feeling um, in different spaces, even in our own land and even in our own homeland. Um, so it's it's a feeling and it's a situation that um, some of us are are used to and um, not comfortable in, but um, ready to activate in and um, really be really not let it go too hard, you know? Okay. So it sounds um, like, I'm sorry, it sounds like over the years you've developed a thick skin and you're able to take criticism, it sounds like. Yes, um, definitely, in all aspects of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's unfortunate, but it's it's the truth, you know, that that it's always going to exist, that negativity is always going to exist. Right, right. Well, Pahonu, for, for other young activists like yourself who, who might be thinking about uh, taking an issue to the courts, in addition to having a thick skin and, and having a strong constitution, what other advice can you give them? Because this is a big undertaking that you and, and your friends have uh, gone on. I think um, one thing that I would encourage anyone who who wants to engage um in this process um, is just knowing that your stories and your, your personal experiences are valid. And um, what you're feeling, especially when it comes to climate change, um, to know that you're probably right. You're observing the correct things in the environment that is changing um, to come up with a valid, a valid point um, for everyone to, to understand that this is happening to our, our climate. This is happening to our environment. And we need to activate and we need to um, address it as soon as possible. And Pahonu, what are your biggest concerns regarding the future of the environment? Well, for me personally, um, my community is a coastal community. So um, I think our beaches here in Hawaii, especially because we, we, a lot of it is depicted by our visitors and what they post. Um, people don't see how our beaches have changed even the, in these past year. Um, we often talk about how COVID and how it really reset our aina, our land. Um, we've seen algae blooms um, of species of algae that have been um, not so common in our waters anymore during COVID. Um, and, and it really made us re- realize that our environment can still be restored. It's not too late yet. We just need to um, implement the right policies and take the right actions um, for our environment to heal. Okay. Pahonu, thank you again. Uh, and I just want to applaud you and the rest of, of your plaintiffs, uh, your friends and, and peers who are in, engaged in this in this legal struggle, in this fight. And I want to go back to Isaac, because Isaac, as I understand it, uh, this lawsuit is, is scheduled, slated to go to court next summer. What can you tell us about the pending case? And, uh, and, and what are you folks hopeful for? What do you think you'll be able to accomplish if you're victorious in this lawsuit? Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, the, the court 
confirmed that we have these rights and the case can go forward. We're headed to trial, an actual trial like you see on TV, uh, next summer. And so, yeah, we're hopeful we're going to have all our youth plaintiffs like Pohono uh, and many others be able to tell their story uh, because legal cases are about the law, but they're also about stories. Climate action and climate progress is about stories and people telling their stories and coming together and advancing that way. And so, yes, we're hopeful that these stories will be told and that the judge will agree to uphold the law and these youth plaintiffs' right and force action by the government to move forward on climate solutions for our transportation sector. Isaac, uh, stories are, are so important, as you mentioned. And do you think having young plaintiffs such as Pahunu and his peers, do you think in some ways maybe they're more effective storytellers? Or do you think that uh, in the court of public opinion, people maybe pay more attention when a young person has such strong convictions about the climate? Absolutely. And particularly on an issue like climate change, where really it's the youth, it's the next generations that are going to feel the worst effects. They're going to take the brunt of it. And so it's really their right that they have to assert. And, and that's why it's so inspiring that they're stepping up in these types of movements um, to uphold the law and, and the right to a livable climate into the future. Right, right. Listeners, uh, if you would like to, to give a shout out to Pahonu or uh, Isaac on the show today, or you have any questions about this lawsuit that uh, will go to trial next summer, our phone lines are open right now. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. And let's go ahead now and bring Jordan Harmon into the conversation. She's down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a policy analyst and legislative advocate for the Indigenous Environmental Network. Jordan, thank you again for joining our conversation today. And let's talk a little bit about the legal system. How important is it for climate activists, such as the folks we're talking to today, to be familiar with the legal system and understand it's, uh, how it works and uh, what's at stake? Okay, thank you. Wow. Um, it's been really great to hear from you, um, Pahonu and Isaac, and really great job standing up for your community there. I'm really impressed by the youth movement. Um, and yeah, thank you for this question. So obviously, as you just heard, it's very important for youth climate and land defenders to understand um, not even just the legal system, but as Pahonu said, their constitutional and fundamental rights, the whole basis of held the Montana and the Hawaii lawsuit is a protected constitutional right. And being able to identify that and actually um, make a claim in court. And there's also the other side of this, which is understanding your rights as a land defender in a criminal court as well as we see um, a trend across the country of bringing um, these charges like in Atlanta, land defenders in Atlanta being charged with um, racketeering charges, domestic terrorism charges. Um, we have land defenders from South Dakota and including in line three being having these charges thrown at them. And so it's really important to be able to understand the legal system if you find yourself um, because a lot of us are marginalized people that are targeted by the legal system a lot. Mm -hmm. And also these huge victories can happen. 
um, when you have enough support and the legal community actually giving these stories and these voices a chance and understanding that it's really their rights that they're looking forward into the future. Right, right. And, and the legal victories are great. But as you mentioned, uh, Native activists uh, don't always have a great relationship with the law. Uh, they've been known to be targeted. Jordan, is it ever a challenge when you're working with young activists and you mention, you know, hey, maybe you could approach the courts. Maybe that's a solution. Are they ever hesitant and say, hey, you know what? That's We've had problems with the courts before. We're not confident that that's the best avenue for us. What do you tell those folks? Um, Yeah, that definitely can be something that happens, and understandably so, you know, for Indigenous people, we're living under a colonial government, you know, all of the laws are repressive laws because they exist only because we're oppressed, and so, as you can imagine, for a lot of Indigenous people, it might be hard to consider that, well, why would I go to this colonial legal system? Um, And that is when it's really important to understand the legal system as a part of a great bigger strategy. And so part of the success of the Montana and Hawaii lawsuits is the specificity of the legal claims there. They have to do with a state-specific law, um, really specific individual harms and dangers for these youth plaintiffs that we're talking about. And it makes it sort of palatable for the court to, like, take up a claim like that. And so that's part of a bigger strategy because we're dealing with global issues and land defenders have all kinds of ways that they oppose these corporate interests and oppose the interests that are damaging the environment. And so I would say maybe, you know, for some people, the legal system isn't the way that they would want to do that. But I don't think it should be completely, you know, disregarded because this is sort of the main way that the governments and corporations actually will uh, go about enforcing their rights. Now, Jordan, you are an attorney by trade, but over the years you've transitioned away from practicing law and become more of of a legal advocate. What inspired you to do that? Um, So a lot of different things inspired me to do that. I was someone who did become a little bit frustrated with um, practicing law in the private sector, and, and that actually included representing tribes and tribal governments. And kind of one thing that was brought up was that, like Isaac said, that these laws exist, and so these youth activists have a right to like um, claim their rights under these laws. But if the laws don't exist or if they exist in a way that is you know, not helpful, then these lawsuits are not successful. And so I found that, like, I wanted to be able to work more closely with grassroots. Um, That's where I started. And like um, uh, Pohonu already said, indigenous land defense is nothing new. The legal system is what's new. Like, our people have been protecting and defending land since time of memoria. And so um, I wanted to, like, help connect the grassroots to the law and policy and try to set up laws that are going to actually hold people accountable. So by the time you get to court, there's already a legal structure in place like in Montana and Hawaii now have. Mm -hmm. Jordan, another hesitation that activists might have with regard to to going to the courts is the cost, right? The, The cost of hiring an attorney in building a lawsuit, uh, how can they work around that? How can they still go to court even if they might not have 
uh, money to do that? So this is a huge barrier, and this is also part of the reason why, like you mentioned, um, activists, land defenders are reluctant to use the courts is because it's simply not accessible, and it does take a lot of resources, and this is why partnerships with organizations like Earth Justice are so important um, because there's really not that many. I mean, a lot of big law firms are representing the corporate interests, and so it takes a lot of money to do this. And so um, plaintiffs need groups like Earth Justice to be around to like help them foot the bill for that because there's really no way of getting around the cost of going to court unless you have a supporter, you have a pro bono representation, or you have some kind of fundraising. Mm-hmm. Isaac, I'd like to get your response to that, too, because, uh, again, with the resource, thinking of the deep pockets of, of some of these defendants that you folks are going after in court, um, how, do you, how do you maintain those resources, and uh, what advice do you have for other folks that are contemplating going to the courts but might not have the money to do so? Right, so it depends on the type of case, but in these youth climate cases, right, we're, we're going up, up against the government, um, and so... Uh, I think, yeah, you do want to partner up with law lawyers or firms that are able to take on these types of cases um, on a pro bono basis. And you know, it's, I think it's a challenge, right? As Jordan said, that you know those types of opportunities are limited. But you know, given the scope of the crisis, um, we need to make use of every opportunity we can get. You know, all the laws that we can muster and, and bring forward. And, and so, yeah, it's it's good. It has to be strategic, um, and lawsuits are part of a broader movement for sure. They're they're not an end all, as Jordan um, had mentioned. And Native uh, American, Native Hawaiian people know this better than anyone else, I mm-hmm. think, based on their historical experience. And yet, I agree with Jordan that you can't ignore the the legal avenue, and you know, it's really good to use it um, when, especially in a time of crisis like this, where we need an all of the above strategy. Right. Jordan, you've been uh, working as a climate activist for quite some time. And how has the work to protect the environment changed since you've been doing this? Well, for one thing, I would say just having a paid job <laughs> doing this <laughs> is way different because I would not have considered myself like a climate worker like I was a worker but just at a job and just protecting the land just like these youth climate activists are because that's what we had to do and so now there's there there are more resources out there to support the movement in general and that's a big change there's a lot of partnerships and resources that we didn't have in the past now I do get to have a job where this is what I do all day Um, and so that's a big change I'm also noticing that um, while we become more strategic, um, the sort of opposing interests are also becoming more strategic and sometimes more smart and savvy about the ways that they infiltrate communities, uh, co-op communities, and especially when it comes to tribes and tribal sovereignty, where in the past we were screaming just to be noticed. Now we're sort of dealing with more backdoor deals and we're being noticed, but they're learning that they can partner with tribes and infiltrate our communities. And that's a little bit of a different um, field than we were playing on in the past. 
We're going to have to take another short break, and uh, I encourage anybody listening to our show today, Native America Calling, we are talking not just about climate change, but specifically uh, how it can be addressed through the courts, and especially through the courts uh, with young people who are passionate about climate issues, and uh, they're brave, and they're proud, and they're willing to take up a legal fight. That is the focus of Native America Calling today. We've got four great guests, and we're going to hear from another young climate warrior after this break. Her name is Brandy Upshaw. Anybody with a question or a comment, maybe you are a climate warrior yourself, or you have a relative who is one, or you have some pressing climate issues in your community that you'd like to talk about on the air, phone lines are open. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a call. Let's get some calls going. We'd love to hear from some of our listeners today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Now's the time for all children over six months old to be vaccinated for the flu. Here's Dr. Sandy Chung, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, with more. It's okay to get both COVID and flu vaccines during the same visit, and it's often the most convenient way for busy parents. Children who are vaccinated for flu are 50% less likely to go to the ER. Visit HealthyChildren.org to learn more. The American Academy of Pediatrics supports this show. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still plenty of time to get in on today's discussion with climate warriors. They say current efforts to avoid the consequences of climate change are not enough. That leads to the question, what is the constitutional responsibility to ensure young people will inherit a sustainable future? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. And to help us answer that question, I, I want to bring our next guest into the conversation now, Brandy Upshaw, who is down in San Diego, California. She's a freshman at the University of San Diego. Hi, Brandy. Uh, thank you for, for waiting patiently uh, during our conversation. You doing okay? Yes, I am. All right. Well, you've been listening to our dialogue so far. What are your thoughts on how younger people like yourself are using the legal system to protect the environment? Um, my interest in the legal system has been fairly new, but I have been set on the pre-med track because of my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've always had like this interest towards like law and and not specifically environmental law, but just law in general from since I was maybe 10. And after my junior year of high school, I was a part of this water testing um, group, and we tested water or bodies of water on the Navajo Nation, and we learned, and it opened my eyes to how just, just the environment or not only on the Navajo Reservation, but on varying reservations and like the rights that need to be highlighted on the reservation, land, like land-wise and water-wise. And that sparked my interest in wanting to dive deeper into like the legal system of water rights and or land management. And since I've been here in California, I had the opportunity to be a part of College Corps, and I got paired to this organization on campus called Outdoor Adventures. and We've been searching or doing research on varying projects that I could possibly pursue regarding 
environmental law. And right now we're looking at partnering with this organization called Rewild Mission, whose mission is to um, highlight or to get back this part of land in Mission Bay that's located on like the northeastern corner of the bay that used to be like wetlands and held varying animals and species and that area right now is, and they're trying to fight for it back. And that's something that I'm growing towards interest in and learning how, what the process is of getting that land back and what just the whole process and listening to everyone so far and learning the battles of it and the strategies of it. I'm seeing that it is like, it's very real and it's a lot of it is inevitable and those are things that I am interested in tackling and trying to highlight for my people because my people are, we have a lot of people, I mean the numbers are great, but not a lot of them are open to the same opportunity that I have right now to create some type of change for my people. So tell us a little bit more about your plans, Brandy. Um, when you finish school, what do you hope to do uh, when you get out there and start working? What are your goals? Uh, my goal right now, and I feel like I'm just going to stay committed or brand, or build a new commitment to environmental law and go into law school now. And do you hope to go to law school there in, in California? Or any thoughts of going back to New Mexico? Um, I think I'll just stick to staying here at the University of San Diego. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to other young people such as yourself who are, who are passionate uh, about climate issues, and uh, earlier we heard from Pahonu and what he and his peers are experiencing there in Hawaii, and um, what do you think people need to understand uh, about young people such as yourselves and and the issues that we're talking about today with climate change and, and how young people like yourselves, how you folks can be part of the solution? Um, I just feel like we're better built for what this new world is bringing with it. I feel that we've been through the initial stages of understanding the new technologies or the new lingos of what society is bringing with it in this next step of like this century. And I feel like just having the trust built for like individuals like myself, younger or older, like 20 years of age or who are still in their teenage years that our voices do matter. We understand and about what's going on. It's not like we are just glued to our technology. Like that's a big part of what's <laughs> allowing us to like learn and to implement and to grow about these things. And I feel like that's just something that needs to be like respected. Right, right. So you understand how to use these tools and, and make them uh, make the world maybe a better place uh, with those tools. Brandy, your, your, your parents, your family and, and friends, are they supportive of, of your academic and professional goals at this stage in your life? Um, yes, I'd say that they are. My dad is actually the one that kind of pointed me towards this direction because I, I just like, like to talk and talk and I find different stuff. And I like 
find, well, personally, I'm not too sure if I find interest in it. I just like dig deeper. Then I find myself talking about it mid-sentence. And then my dad's like, you really need to just do this because, like, you keep talking about it. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so now I've been trying or applying whatever knowledge I have and what other characteristics I have to improve some of these injustices. Now, Brandy, there's so much divisiveness in our country right now with regard to, to climate change issues. On, on one side, you have warriors such as yourself who are advocating so strongly. And then the other side, there are people that just don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to address it. What's your biggest fear? If uh, if this country and this world, this planet doesn't get on on board with these climate change issues, what's your biggest fear for the future and the world that, that you're going to live in and your children and your grandchildren will live in? It's just, I feel my biggest fear is them not or experiencing the life that I had growing up. I mean, growing up, I lived like deep in the reservation. I could see the Milky Way like any like, during the night. I could see the blue, like clear blue sky, breathe clean air, and just like play in clean sand. That's what scares me. That if there aren't any changes right now to protect our rights and land rights, then are my kids going to be able to see the Milky Way? Are they going to be able to know what clean sand looks like? Are they going to know what breathing clean air is like and having like a clean body is like? That's my biggest fear. And Brandy, how old are you? Um, I'm 18. You're 18. And just in your short 18 years, have you seen, can you see the effects of climate change there on the Navajo Nation and, and parts of Four Corners where you grew up? Yes. I Where my grandmother lives, which was where I used to live before I moved just over the Mesa, but <laughs> where we lived, there used to be like two wells and they used to be like clean wells, like alkaline wells. And now they're like disappeared, evaporated, they're... It's just bad. The water is no no good anymore. And also the increasing numbers of, like, the oil rigs in the area going from where I live to Cortez or in Colorado, the increasing – I can see more oil rigs in that area than, like, if I remember to when I was, like, maybe six or maybe eight. It's just – I see no green greenery anymore. It's starting mm. to look a little more sad, and that's what's making me a bit more sad about it, and that's what's making me want to change my career into law because in the medical field, I mean, it's great. Personally, my parents want me to be in it for the money, but <laughs> I don't see myself being happy or, like, knowing that I'm creating some type of change that's, like, I can see it. I could grasp it in um, characteristics like that. I don't feel myself being satisfied with, like, the work that I'm doing if I pursue a career in the medical field. So, And in my lifetime, I want to be able to create some type of change or be a part of some type of change. So that's what's right now driving my interest to law. Mm. Brandy, really appreciate you chiming in and uh, joining our conversation today. I, I want to go back to Jordan now. And, and Jordan, listening to both Brandy and 
Pahonu, uh, very inspirational young people, uh, very committed to their beliefs and their their goals for for climate change uh, here in the U.S. and even globally. And Jordan, I imagine though, as we move forward. Um, the fight's going to change with regard to how climate activists, uh, the strategies they use, the approaches they use. What do you think our, our young climate warriors need to keep in mind as, as they move along and, and continue this journey through school, through college, uh, into their careers with the, the large, large-scale climate change uh, debates and, and battles that uh, are only going to continue in the years to come? Well, first I would say that you two are two very committed, passionate young people. Um, You sound like you're really strong and who you know, and you're fighting for something that's going to benefit all of us. And that's already really amazing. And what you're going to do is just go out in the world. And I think Brandy already said it is that um, we need to be able to trust the youth that they know what they're doing Puhonu said it, he knows when the youth look at the changes in climate change, they know what they're seeing, they know what they're talking about. And both of them mentioned the coming from the community and just to remember that who you're fighting for and who's going to give you that respite, that moment of peace when you need it, is to go to your community and just exist with them and remember that that's where you belong, that's where you're going to find your support and that going to help guide you even though it's going to be really challenging of course things may change and you may have to adapt but it sounds like you're already ready for all of that so I say congratulations to both of you and I'm really excited that we got to talk and listen to you today Mm, absolutely Brandy you want to respond to uh to Jordan and she's got a lot of admiration for you um, I want to say that I am very interested in what you're doing and your job in the legal system. I think that it's very inspiring or just allowing, it makes me want to do what I want to do even more. <laughs> Jordan, obviously going to law school is one approach. It's an approach that you took. It's an approach that, that Brandy wants to take. Uh, Isaac as well is an attorney by trade. But are there other avenues that activists can take to still learn, um, to still understand how the legal system works, to still be able to wage battles in the courts like we're talking about today, but not go to law school? Are there other ways to learn some of this information, other tracks to that to that? Uh, to that way, to that uh, role that they can play as activists, climate activists? Oh, yeah. Um, In fact, there's maybe even way better tracks than law school to learn about the law. And I'm only half joking when I say that is um, I would say that's where like partnerships and networking and allyships become really important. So even if you don't go to law school or you're not a lawyer to have lawyers in your network and your movement, And the other thing would be, um, again, one of the biggest changes we've seen in recent years is all the resources out there. So there's all kinds of like webinars and virtual opportunities for learning. There's all kinds of people like Isaac and me and anybody out there that you want to reach out to and learn from them on a personal basis, Um, learning from past 
the lawsuits, like looking up and reading about the Held versus Montana lawsuit and seeing what were the issues that were involved there, what what is a constitutional right, and just kind of questioning. And I think that the youth of today are really good at independent research kind of naturally. And that's one of the ways that they, you know, these young people already know about a lot of these climate issues that I probably didn't even know about when I was 18. So um, that would be my advice is like, you definitely don't have to go to law school to understand legal issues. And even if you go to law school, there's other things you can do other than being a lawyer where that type of education is really important. All right. Thank you, um, Jordan. And uh, Pahono, I want to go back to you for the last word on the show today and tell us about your plans for the future. I think, um, you know, this is a very big question, of course. Um, I remember um, being a guest speaker at the law school here at UH Manoa um, in Hawaii, and uh, they asked us at the end of the um, at the end of the panel, "What do we want to do when we grow up?" And you know, we're always asked this as a little child, I guess, in elementary, but um, especially in my senior year, when people ask me this, it's it's a very big question now. It's not firefighter or police or um, it's very, you have to think about it a lot. Um, and, you know, the answer that I gave when they um, asked that is basically, I just want to be Hawaiian. Um, I just want to be Kanaka because um, being Hawaiian and being Kanaka is is fighting for our climate. It's being a lawyer. It's, it's being a doctor. Um, you know, this, this climate change and this, this very, very large shift is not just going to take lawyers. It's not just going to take grassroots people. It's going to take doctors, and it's going to take um, policymakers, and it's going to take radio talk shows to, <laughs> to start making people think about what our climate is going through. Um, and it just so happens that my indigenous identity um, heavily and um, heavily involves every involves every aspect of that being a lawyer being an activist being a doctor um it it, it includes everything so i just want to be hawaiian when i grow up and um being educated on different aspects of what the system puts us through all right um, Pahono, thank you so much for, for wrapping up our show today i want to thank all of our guests for contributing their time and knowledge for today's conversation Hope you'll tune in to NAC again tomorrow when we'll discuss how policies like the Violence Against Women Act are helping and failing to protect Native people. Until then, stay safe and have a great rest of your day. We chose RSV, seasonal flu, and COVID 19, which Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. 
The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the ninth annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.